You do know who God is. He's revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. You do know the character of God. You know who to trust. A major part of, I believe, our maturation in the faith is, is about learning to live with ambiguity and to live passionately in the midst of ambiguity, to live with faith in the midst of ambiguity, to accept it for what it is, to do what you can do about it, and then to rest. This week, uh, a young lady, Stephanie, uh, called me and uh, said that the Lord had kind of given her a song that flowed out of uh, the message the last couple of weeks. And that she wanted me to hear the lyrics of it. In fact, she wanted to sing me. Uh, she sang the song over uh, the uh, telephone. Um, and I do not want 17 calls of, of songs this week. Uh, <laughs> I have a song for you. But she really felt the Lord laid this on her heart. And when she shared it with me, I agreed. I, I think this just really captures, it captures the kind of simplicity of faith that we're aiming at as we think about the problem of evil and the mystery of why. The mystery of why and how we don't know why. But we do know who, who we're going to hang on to in the midst of the confusing whys of this world. So I've asked you to come in and share this, uh, this uh, song, this ministry. Go ahead. Beauty of this chaos catches in my throat, my heart twists and turns. By the memories we wrote And who knows where this madness ends All I know is that until then I will smile to hear a newborn cry Shed a tear when I say goodbye And I will kiss death with a heavy sigh and with the lights that greet the morning sky And all the while I will wonder why The darkness ends at daybreak When the mist still warms the land The rumblings of this mayhem Speak life of a higher hand but who can see what's coming around the next bend? All I know is that until then, I will smile to hear a newborn cry, shed a tear when I say goodbye. And I will kiss death with a heavy sigh, and with a light step greet the morning sky. And all the while I All the unanswered questions My hands don't stand a chance They must release their burden And be faithful to the dance And who knows now why they Will heavenward extend All I know is until The coming of my friend Well I will smile to hear a newborn cry Shed a tear when I say goodbye And I will kiss death with a heavy sigh And with a light step greet the morning sky And I will wipe the 
about, isn't it? Took me five weeks to say that. <laughs> and I had to get into all that chaos theory, eight-second interval stuff. But thank you, Stephanie, for, for sharing that, and Neil uh, for playing along with, with, uh, with her. You know, when, it all come, when, it, when it's all said and done, here's what's real, and less than one out of 10,000 people on this planet know it. The world is a whole lot more like a democracy than it is a totalitarian system. Uh, a shallow God, an insecure God, would have made it differently, but a courageous God makes it so he gives genuine freedom to creatures. And what we are told from Scripture is that a civil war has broken out in this cosmic society that God has created. And we are caught up in that, in, in that civil war. We know that, that God will win. We know that for sure. We know that all who are on God's side and fight on his side will win. We know that no matter what happens... Um, he can bring good out of evil. We know that no matter what happens, he's with us uh, and to bring comfort. We know that he's involved in everything, but we also know that he doesn't control everything. And that's why the world is so crazy and, and bent out of shape. And right now what's real is that, the, that, that we're in the middle of a war. What's also real is that God has, this is what the church is all about. Why does he keep us around for 70 years after we get saved? Uh, you know, why do we go on? Why doesn't he just take us to heaven right away? And sometimes, I, you know, you wish he would, don't you? But we have a job to do. That's what the church is all about. We have a job to do. Every person in this room who is a believer is a warrior for the kingdom. And this is what's real. This is just the real thing. The world is under siege by the enemy. We are stationed behind enemy territory. There are bullets flying in the spiritual realm. Bombs going off in the spiritual realm. Grenades going off in the spiritual realm. Bullets flying, grenades going off, bombs going off in the physical realm sometimes as well. We're in the middle of this war zone. But our job, our commission is to be working behind enemy lines to topple down the enemy empire in order, to, in order to prepare the way for the coming of our friend, as Stephanie said, the coming of our king. We're laying the foundation here for the kingdom. When he will come, he'll finally utterly vanquish all who oppose him, set up his eternal kingdom that will never end, and then, and only then, will the creation be all that God always wanted the creation to be. We have a wonderful privilege and role and opportunity to be laying the foundation for that. It's also an awesome responsibility. I believe gravest, saddest thing that has happened in church history, especially the church of the last 400 years, is that we've lost the cutting edge of that warfare perspective. 
And we've reduced Christianity down to a kind of a nice thing that makes you feel good once in a while and, and makes your life a little bit sweeter and a little bit nicer. And, 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 and you can ignore the evil in the world and just go on with your little, little comfort gig going on. And when you have that kind of a mentality, then when bad things happen to you, you say, why me, why me? Well, who told you not to expect that? In a war zone, bad stuff is going to happen. Jesus promised us that. So we ought not be a church of people who, who are surprised when bad things happen. You're surprised when bad things happen when you're on vacation, but when you're in the middle of Dresden, Germany, getting bombed, it's not surprising that your house get blow, got blown up. What we need to know is we don't know why. Why this person, not that person. Why that baby's born grotesque, deformed, and that baby's born totally healthy, and this person's marriage one goes on wonderful, and that one just falls apart. And we don't, there's a million things about the whys that we don't know, and the if-onlys that we don't know, but what we do know is what God, our captain, wants to do with us, our warriors, right here and right now, to live life fully, to live life passionately, and to live life with a purpose in the middle of this ambiguous war zone. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Now, we are empowered, we've been saying, the last four weeks. We've been empowered with this thing called free will. We have self-determination. And the job of the believer is to use that free will, whereas those who oppose God, both angelically and uh, humans, those who oppose God use their free will against God's purposes for their own purpose. The believer is to submit our will to his purpose. That, that's when we become kingdom vehicles to spread the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. We submit our will to his will. That's when kingdom coincidences start to happen in our life. That's when God begins to adjust the ripples of the pond if we go back two weeks ago. That's, when God begins, that's how God begins to build his kingdom. We walk in the spirit. We submit to him. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says that the good soldier... Stationed behind enemy lines, the good soldier doesn't become overly involved in civilian affairs, but is always seeking to please his commanding officer. We are to walk with an ear bent towards our captain and listen to him and to see our workplace and to see our neighborhood and to see everything about our life as an opportunity to spread that kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. When all is said, when the darkness comes, when, when, the, when this epic that we're a part of, this warfare probationary stage is over, when this prelude to reality finally gets done with, the only thing that's going to matter, the only thing that's going to last, is what we did for the kingdom of God to prepare that coming. Everything else, everything else is burned up like dross. This needs to define our life, you guys. We have say-so, self-determination on a physical level. What we say, what we do, the actions we do, social action that we get involved in, loving deeds that we get involved in, all of that is a way of spreading the kingdom of God. We, we make a difference with what we do in, with our bodies. We also, and this is what I want to talk about this morning, make a profound difference with what we do in our prayer closet. We have say-so. We have a power to impact on a physical level. We also have power to impact on a spiritual level. The power to impact on a physical level are, is our deeds. The power to impact on a spiritual level is our prayer. What we need to see is this. We shouldn't be obsessing with the question Why? Chaos theory, we don't know why. We should be obsessing with the question, how? How can we make a difference? And if Scripture is clear on anything, it's clear that prayer is our primary vehicle for making a difference in the world. What we do in our prayer closet has a profound impact on what happens in world history. Now, I've preached whole sermons on this, and I'm not going to preach this whole sermon on this point. I'm just going to do a little reminder here. The Bible is very, very clear it, it, that God wagers more on prayer than on any other thing. I don't know of any place in the Bible where a nation was spared judgment because someone did a good deed, but I do know of several instances where a nation was spared judgment because someone prayed a prayer. Think about it. God wages a lot on the power of prayer. You know, have you ever read this, this uh, story? It's one of these. Do you ever just read the Old, Old Testament and, and things happen and you think, gosh, that's silly? 
Uh, it, 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 some of the Old Testament especially strikes me as, as just bizarre, bizarre stuff. Well, here's one of the bizarre stories. And usually when you find a bizarre thing in the Old Testament, and maybe, I, maybe right now you're thinking I'm a little, being a little sacrilegious by saying it's bizarre. No, I'm not. I'm just being real, okay? Uh, it's bizarre. Some of the Samson stuff is bizarre. Okay, God does bizarre things. But there's almost always a point to it, whether we see it or not. Well, there's a bizarre story in Exodus chapter 17 where the Israelites are fighting the Amalekites. The Amalekites are the bad guys, the Israelites are the good guys. God wants the Amalekites defeated. But see, God, in his working with a, a world in which he's given free will to different, different agents, he doesn't just unilaterally de- declare things. He wants the Amalekites defeated. He has the power to defeat the Amalekites, but he doesn't want to unilaterally defeat the Amalekites. He wants to use the Israelites to defeat the Amalekites. The question is, will the Israelites go along with it? So in, in Exodus 17, there's this battle going on. Now, behind the scenes, up on the mountain where very few people are looking as they're fighting with swords and doing all the bloody stuff, is Moses. And Moses, the, the Lord says, raise your hands up to heaven and pray and do intercession. And when he does that, boom, you can see the Israelites start to gain the advantage. But after an hour or two, man, his arms get heavy and his arms start sinking. And then the Amalekites start winning. He puts them back up there again and the Israelites start winning and then they go down and the Amalekites start winning. You wonder what would have happened if he would, if he would have went like this. You know? <laughs> one, two, one. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, uh. Lord, where did that one come from? <laughs> and the Lord's saying, hey, you're a free agent. I didn't send that. <laughs> Don't blame me for that one. Okay. So it's a weird, weird story, but it's got a profound point to it. And finally, Aaron and some others have to come, and they've got to raise up Moses' arms, you know, to help him, you know, to, to, to help him keep his hands up. Now, on one level, you think, what is this magic hocus-pocus that Moses got to keep his hands up? What's the deal here? Why, is God, you know, why does God like his hands up so much? Well, it's not about the hands. It's about the point of intercession. You see, God's teaching us a point that if you want the kingdom to go forward... It's not by might, it's not by your power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And the thing that unleashes this power of God, the thing that unleashes the spirit of God, more in world history than anything else, is prayer. Intercessory prayer. You would think, if you're looking in the natural, as you look at this battle going on in this valley, you would think, well, the Israelites are better warriors because they're winning. Oh, I guess the Malachites are better warriors because they're winning. Oh, the Israelites must have came up with a new strategy because they're winning. Oh, the Malachites must have came up with a new strategy because they're winning. And if you're looking at it in the natural and you're trying to make sense out of things in the natural, you're not going to be able to make sense out of it. But if you know spiritual principles and how, how important, how vital, how urgent the principle of intercessory prayer is, now you begin to make sense out of that. Because it's not about who is more effective or who is stronger, who's got more horses or who's got more chariots. It's about who's got God on their side and who's got an intercessor on their side. You see what I'm saying? So what God is saying is that if you want the kingdom to go forward, you want to spread the kingdom of light against the kingdom of darkness, you want to vanquish the enemy, you got to keep your hands raised up. you got to keep your knees bent. you got to stay in an attitude of prayer. A lot is leveraged on whether or not the people of God are willing to pray. I think one of the saddest things that happened as a result of what I've been calling the blueprint worldview, which thinks that everything that happens is already the will of God, one of the saddest consequences of believing that is that you lose the urgency of prayer. Nothing really seems to hang on it. Prayer becomes sort of a little formality, a pro forma thing that you do, like being on a committee that really doesn't have any power to make any decisions. You may do it, but you're not going to do it with passion because you don't think it really makes a difference. If God's will is already being done, then, then how can you really pray with passion, Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? You already think God's will is being done. Now, you may do it out of obedience, but you're not going to do it like lives are really in the balance, like something really hung upon it, you see? And so the church has been a church that has lost its passion, lost its urgency, in prayer, 
And the sad thing is that that's our main vehicle for spreading the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. I want us to look at prayer. We need to believe. It's so crucial that we believe, vital that we believe in the power of prayer and that we're engaged in it and that we're committed to it. I believe that the enemy would rather have you doing anything more than prayer. Anything. That's why he throws so many distractions at you when you start to pray. What about the groceries? You didn't, you know, yeah, get groceries. Uh, you know, doesn't your tummy kind of, I bet you're really tired right now. Phone ring time. And I, tons of stuff. The only time I can really pray effectively is when God wakes me up at 2 in the morning and I can't get back to sleep. Uh, you know, uh, otherwise it's all distraction. But I think he'd rather have, you pr- rather have you going around knocking on doors, witnessing 40 hours a day than praying. You see? Because see, if you're not praying, all your deeds aren't going to come to anything kingdom fruit anyways. Do you know that what makes the difference in the battle is whether or not there are people praying for the battle? What makes the difference in what happens here at Woodland Hills Church has to do with whether or not there are people praying for the service at Woodland Hills Church. So in the children's ministry, uh, so in the covenant groups, so in our evangelism outreach programs. Uh, it's, it's not, we need to use our best resources and our best energy and all that we have to further the kingdom, but it's got to be covered with prayer. It's got to be covered with prayer. I covet you. I covet your prayer for me and my family and for all the pastors and their families, but also for your small groups and your children, for the ministry of Woodland Hills Church. Because that, those prayer chips cash into kingdom work. Nothing else really does. Nothing, everything else is feel next to it. Now here's the question, and we're going to end with this question. We're going to end this series with this question. Don't start packing up yet, because I'm just getting warmed up. <laughs> Here's the question. We've been dealing, we've been gutsy. We've been trying to be real. We've been trying to be honest with the fact that we don't know why on a lot of things in this world. Well, here's a nice why. How come if prayer is so important and God gives so many promises attached to prayer, why is it we so rarely, let's be honest here, see it answered in miraculous ways? I have talked in the last week to two people who quit praying because of serious disappointments in their life. They did pray, they did intercessory work, and nothing happened. And we're not talking about trivial prayers like, Lord, fix my faucet. We're talking about prayers like, save my child. You see? And, and, and you pray, you do intercession, God says a lot hangs upon prayer and all of this, and nothing happens. And so you can come to the, to the conclusion that prayer doesn't work. Prayer doesn't work. Just like some people come to the conclusion that nothing I do really matters. It's like you develop a sort of fatalism about things. I want to give a, a little teaching here that doesn't answer why, but it provides a, a, a framework, as I did with the pr- problem of evil earlier, provides a framework into why we don't know why, which allows us to be able to trust in how God uses prayer, though we can't see how he does it. Okay, that's what I'm going to be dealing with here, the, the nature of prayer. So we've been turning this into a classroom. I want to turn this auditorium into a classroom, and I want to talk about five principles in the Bible that... that uh, um, Influence the effectiveness and power of prayer. Could we be cutting the lights? Oh, good. Are the lights dimming? Or am I going? And Greg said, let there be no lights. And there were no lights. We're going to use our uh, uh, fancy-dancy, high-tech, PowerPoint, Woodland Hill style thing again. Don't worry if you can't read it, uh, because uh, I usually can't either, but it makes me feel like I'm doing something worthwhile by having it up here. So uh, follow if you can. You can follow my words. This spotlight here is the main one. I, I rebuke the spotlight. And I command it enough to be loose and be done. If you don't cut that spotlight, I'm going to look really silly. Okay, so. <laughs> These are variables in the effectiveness of prayer. What is it about prayer? You see, I, and, and the whole point here, and I got 20 minutes to do this, and I'm going to do it in 20 minutes. But we often treat prayer like magic. And the Bible doesn't do that. We often think that it's a hocus pocus. Uh, you know, people get weird on this. You know, you don't have to worry about anything, brother boy, because last night, 
abound the principality and power over St. Paul. Now, whoa, finally someone thought of doing that. Um, honey, if it was that simple, uh, we'd be in heaven right now. Uh, it's, there are some variables that Scripture gives us about the effectiveness of prayer. Okay, and, and I want you to hear these in context. Yeah, we got, these have to be taken together. Wounds come, misunderstandings come, discernments come when you take some biblical truth and isolate it from other biblical truth. So we need to take these together. Here are some of the variables, some of the things that go into whether prayer is answered or not. Number one, God's will. Yes. 1 John 5, 14. The, the, the Lord says that when you pray according to my will, I will hear your prayer and answer your prayer. Um, we need to understand this very quickly. That prayer is not a gimme, gimme, grab bag kind of thing. God wants a bride, not a toddler. That one was from God, and I didn't, that, that just kind of came out. That, God, and see, a lot, of, a lot of toddler Christians think that prayer is about, well, I want God, I want this, I want this. I'm claiming a Cadillac right now. You know, uh, well, you know, I'm so glad that God doesn't answer those because we'd be a bunch of spoiled brats. And it wouldn't even bother me too much, but then what they do is they start telling you that if you don't drive a Cadillac and aren't living healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, and if you've got any sickness in your life, it's your fault, and you, and you lack faith, and all that other kind of nonsense. But see, prayer isn't about a gimme, 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 grab bag, whining kind of a slot machine, God's our vending machine or whatever. We put a little quarter prayer, and he's got to give us a candy bar. It doesn't work like that. It's about a relationship. The primary purpose of prayer is to do warfare. The primary purpose of prayer, Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 6, is to pray, Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about spreading the will of God. Okay, that, that, the, the thing is wired for that. God wants us to have a relationship with, with him. God wants us to be dependent upon him. God wants us to be an empowered bride. So he ordains that a lot hangs upon prayer. But among the things that hang upon prayer, the central thing that hangs upon prayer is the effectiveness of the kingdom. When we pray consistently, consistent with God's will, then, then there's going to be a double power there. God's power matched with our, our faith, and bam, the kingdom goes forward. But it's not to be taken as a sort of grab bag thing that we have. We need to understand this. Lord, help this to come out right. In all humility, because it's not about us, but in all humility, because it is about moral responsibility, we need to know that we are the most powerful people on the planet. We really are. And the reason is because we're sitting on a throne with Jesus Christ. And the goal for God is to have him and us reign together, Revelations 5.11, and to have dominion over the world. That's his kingdom. This will be the, the humanity uh, that, that was always supposed to be on the planet was, was the humanity of the church, where we were supposed to have dominion over the world under his dominion. We rule with him. Prayer is our starting to rule right here and right now. God's got his will. He tells us what his will is in the Bible. When we match up our will with, it, with his, boom, it's done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, that's why the essence of all prayer is co-signing the check of God that will cash into kingdom power. Yes, we co-sign the check with God that cashes out into kingdom power. Whatever you bind on earth has been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth has been loosed in heaven. There's a duality there. God could do it all himself. He doesn't want to do it all himself. He wants us to be free agents. So he says, here's my will. Do you agree? When you agree, boom, it gets unleashed. So prayer is about God's will. If you're praying outside of God's will, uh, it's not going to be done. I believe that God will take your prayer and apply it in a way that is his will. Uh, if you're praying with, with a pure heart, uh, there's no wasted prayer, I don't believe. But the way you think you're going to get answered isn't the way you're going to get answered. Secondly, faith. 
We'll be talking about this uh, in next week and then uh, in some of June as we go through Hebrews 11. And I'll just say this. James chapter 5, or chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. James says, you have not because you don't ask. And you don't ask in faith. You don't ask, nothing doubting. You're wavering. You're like a ship tossed. Maybe kind of, sort of, kind of, want to, nah, nah, nah. As we're going to see next week, faith is a powerful thing. It's the thing that brings forth action. It's the thing that brings forth results. Results, faith is the evidence of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for. Um, God, Jesus always said, according to your faith, be it unto you. According to your faith, be it unto you. I'm convinced that the Western church, that's us folks, the Western church is sitting on a powder keg of spiritual dynamite, but we don't see much more than little firecrackers going off because we don't have the faith that will ignite the whole thing. Faith is what ignites it. When we pray in faith, prayer isn't a magical thing where you just, you know, if you say these words 18 times, God has to act. Uh, That's the difference between faith and magic, between prayer and magic. Magic is a hocus pocus, you know, you conjure up some deity. Faith is about a relationship. And God has seen fit for the purposes for which he's striving in this world, to leverage a lot on faith. According to your faith, be it unto you. Do you believe that God is able? Do you believe in the character of God? Do you believe that God is with you? The greatest thing that we do that limits what goes on in the kingdom is we limit what God can do. We, we bring God down to our finite capacities. We look at our impossibilities instead of looking at God's possibilities. God, help us to open up our eyes and have faith that believes and was willing to move forward and is even outrageous. If it's in God's will. If it's in God's will. Here's what God's will is to have a revival in this church, to have a revival in St. Paul, to have a revival throughout the Twin Cities. What do you say? Amen. The question is, do we believe? Can, can, can we picture that? Can we picture that? Or is that just kind of a little pipe dream? We go, meh. Ah, yeah. You know, oh, God, you yeah, do it. Uh, or is it, can we see it? Faith is the evidence. We'll talk about this next week. I don't want to preach next week's sermon, but, but it's about, you know, can you see it? Are you moving towards that? Are you praying? Are you doing intercessory work on that? Do you believe that God is able to move on hearts, to burst the church open, to see it happen? Faith is what brings it about. So are you praying with faith, the, the intensity of your faith, according to God's will? Third, persistence. Luke 11, 5 through 8, and Luke 18, 1 through 6. Jesus says, pray like a person who wants to get some bread in the middle of the night. And knocks on the door and knocks on the door and knocks on the door. And knocks on the door and knocks on the door. Wouldn't it get irritating after about 20 minutes? It's like my dog barking. You know, you, you know how you know that I'm a patient man? My dog is still alive. I'm sleeping and the dog's like... It's a little Maltese. Uh, well, you know, okay... Persistence. My dog is persistent. You know, Jesus is not, not saying that God is like uh, a person who just doesn't want to get you bread. But he's saying pray like a person who wants to get bread from a person who doesn't want to give it. Uh, or he says pray like a woman who wants to get her case heard. Uh, this is Luke chapter 18. Uh, uh, her case heard by an unjust judge. He's not saying that God is an unjust judge, but he is saying pray as though he were one. In other words, he's talking about the persistence of prayer. Now see, we need to understand this. Prayer is not magic. Prayer is labor in the spiritual realm. And just as in the physical realm, when you want something done, you've got to be persistent. You're trying to move a log, you've got to be persistent with it. It may be a heavy log. You've know, you got to work at the thing. Um, so also in the, in the spiritual realm, this, prayer is our spiritual labor. It's not a hocus-pocus kind of thing. So you've got to labor with it. You've got to do intercession. You've got to be persistent with the whole thing. Jesus tells us that. Persistence, faith, in accordance with God's will, accomplishes much. It accomplishes much. You know... 
Little, little side note here. Matthew, uh, in the book of Matthew, Jesus says, if your faith is like a grain of mustard seed, you shall move mountains. And some people take that as an indictment on how little faith they have. And in fact, the verse can be applied that way. That if you just have this much faith, boy, you can do a whole lot. But I think there's even a more profound application of that, that, that principle, and it has to do with persistence. Um, it also has to do with my next point, and that is numbers, the numbers of people praying. Uh, and, and it's this. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of, uh, of mustard seed. I, I, it's like a mustard seed. And if you have a, a faith like a mustard seed, it will move mountains. But Jesus tells us what he means by that when he tells us about the kingdom. A mustard seed starts small, but it grows and it multiplies and it multiplies and it takes over the whole garden and becomes very, very large. But it doesn't do it like that. No, faith persists and it works underground. It's subversive. This is the faith of the kingdom of God that's going to tear down the kingdom of Satan. It's a subversive faith and it grows and grows and grows and grows. So also prayer in faith is a persistent prayer. And, and, and it's a prayer that brings in other people in on agreement with it. And that's why it moves mountains. But we always, we Americans especially, that are used to nice little light switches and, 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 and microwave ovens and, and remote controls, we like it like this. Boom! So say, oh God, will you just heal my leg? Okay, now I've got to go on something else. Uh, and we want it like that. And they think, oh, God doesn't answer prayer because my leg's not healed. Or my friend's not saved. Or this or that or the other thing. But see, God never says it's a hocus-pocus kind of thing. Uh, it, it's, it, it, it takes persistence. It's work. The spiritual realm is a whole lot like the physical realm. Think of it that way. So we know in the physical realm, if I'm moving a log, if I get a couple people to help me, it's more likely that I'll be able to move that log than if I'm doing it alone. So also, Jesus says, when two or three of you agree on earth as touching anything in heaven, when you pray in faith, it will be done. Okay? When there's this agreement. The social God, he's a triune God, he's the Trinity, when he makes the world, everything operates better when there's harmony among people. When there are people united with it. Everything, including prayer. Now you know that. Because if that wasn't true, you wouldn't be asking people to pray for your family or pray for your friend or whatever. You're doing that because you believe that the more people are praying, the more power the prayer has. And that's a true biblical principle. That's why oftentimes in the Old Testament, they'd call everyone together to pray. Or in the New Testament, the whole church would get together to pray. Because there's power in numbers. You're leveraging it. Prayer is simply spiritual muscle. And we know that if you're going to get a car off of a person who's pinned under it, you might not have enough muscle on your own, but if you get you and five other people, maybe you will. You see? It's about muscle, so we get people in agreement with one another. Also note this, very important. When Jesus says, if two or three of you agree on anything as touching anything on earth, it will be done for you, he doesn't qualify it. And so what, what sometimes happens is people will take that principle and they forget about the principle of persistence or the principle of faith or the principle of God's will. And they turn it into magic. Whenever you take a verse out of the whole context of Scripture, you turn the verse into magic. Oh, here's our formula right here. If we disagree, then it's going to happen. Well, see, you need to read the whole Scripture. And so there's other things to know about prayer. Oftentimes, a verse will state something without qualification, but it will be qualified elsewhere, like when you pray according to God's will, or according to your faith be done unto you, or pray like a woman who wants to get her, her case heard. The final principle is the most unusual for us evangelicals, and I think it's the most important, so it will shock you. I knew that ahead of time, so I wrote this picture here. Ah! <laughs> These here are eyeballs, and, uh, you know, you get the point. A Vincent Van Gogh, I ain't. But hey, I got both ears. Okay, never mind. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Bad taste, I know. Come on, we're real people here. We're just, we're real people furthering the kingdom of God. Opposition, so crucial. See, we lost the warfare perspective, and so prayer, a lot of prayer doesn't make sense unless you understand it in a warfare perspective. There is opposition to what you're saying and what you're doing, and that affects things. Opposition. 
It's not magic because it's done in a warfare context in just the same way. I can, and five of us can have uh, a desire to bless you, but if you don't want to get blessed, you know what? That's going to affect whether we're going to be able to bless you or not. Because our wills aren't the only wills here. You've got a will. It says in, in Luke chapter 7, verse 31, that the Pharisees and Sadducees rejected God's purpose for themselves. Now, God had a purpose for them. I want to bless you. There probably were other people who had a purpose for them. They're praying, God bless them. And that has an effect. their life is somehow better because of that prayer. There is no wasted prayer, but you've got to know this. If they reject it, they reject it. And so there's, there's, if, if there are forces, people, wills, who oppose, angels who oppose the prayer, that means it's going to be tougher. We're talking warfare here, folks. We're not talking magic. So, for example, look at this. Matthew 6.10. Jesus says, pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means that God's will is not being done right now. Obviously, there are wills that are resisting God's will. If that wasn't true, why would we be praying, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? What we're doing in prayer is we're saying, God, against these spiritual and even against these physical things that oppose you, Lord, let your will be done. Let your will be done. Let your will be done. And that is essentially no different than wrestling with somebody physically. In fact, Paul says, we wrestle with principalities and powers. There's a wrestling match going on. And it's a genuine wrestling match. Thank God the power of God dwarfs in significance the power of any creatures that he gave power to. But that doesn't mean that they don't have power. They do, and they can resist, thwart God's will for their life, and hinder it for others. Daniel 10, we preached on this last week. Daniel prays. Oh God, we need to hear from you. You know, deliver us. And he's fasting on top of it. It takes 21 days for an angel to show up and deliver him a message. Now, why did it take 21 days? Well, the average churchgoer would say, well, it must not be God's will. God's timing's not our timing. Or, Daniel, you must have lacked faith. If you just believed enough, it would have been answered like that. Why, I prayed for my Aunt Susie, and just like that. We always universalize our own experience, which is a really negative thing to do. Unless it squares with Scripture. Here, the angel says, Daniel, okay, I know it took a long time, and you're getting kind of hungry, but uh, God heard you right away, and he dispatched me right away. But this prince of Persia, and Daniel is in Persia right now, and there's this prince, this spiritual agent, who does not want Daniel to get this message. Because he knows that when Daniel gets this message, it's going to make a difference with the Israelites, and eventually the Israelites are going to leave. And this angel is in charge of this area. He's He's a bad angel. He wants to keep the Israelites in captivity. So he intercepts the answer. Now, you're thinking that sounds really, really weird, but why would it be so weird? Because that stuff happens all the time on, a, a, on the physical realm. You see, we, we just overly spiritualize the spiritual realm. It, it's a whole lot like this realm. God answers the prayer, sends a, uh, an agent to, to deliver it. It gets tied up. Michael the archangel is, is delivered. See, this is why I said that the, 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 the universe, the cosmos, is more like a democracy than a totalitarian system. These agents really do have say-so. So the, the answer to the prayer gets intercepted, and it takes 21 days to get there. Michael the archangel finally comes and frees up this angel. He takes over the fight, so the angel then can go. But the angel can't stay very long because he says, yeah, I've got to go back because the fight's going on. And now the prince of Greece, the spiritual power, there are territorial spirits, this prince of Greece is going to come over and, and join us in this fight. All of that is to say this. We know next to nothing about what goes on in that realm. We don't need to know. God's not in the business of explaining why to us. But what we do know is that it's there. And what goes on there can affect what goes on here, even our prayer. That's why all prayer is warfare prayer, because there's always spiritual agents who don't like you praying it. When you pray for somebody and nothing happens, this, it shouldn't feel weird or awkward. Uh, you know, 
we only feel weird or awkward if we think we've got to come up with an explanation. Like, well, it must not be God's will, or it must be your lack of faith. Now, you know what? It could be God's will, and it could be their lack of faith. But you don't know that. Because it could also be a bunch of other things. Uh, it could have to do with a myriad of free agents in the spiritual realm, and there's stuff going on, there's static going on right now, and uh, it just didn't happen. We don't know why. We don't know why. You don't need to know why. But this is why the Bible says pray with faith, pray with persistence, pray with numbers. Why would that be necessary unless you were going against opposition? Daniel chapter 10 shows us this. Billy Graham put it this way. Prayer isn't preparation for spiritual warfare. It is spiritual warfare. And I'll tell you this. Your prayer life will come alive. When, when you pray, if you can just kind of get a picture of this in your mind, of the warfare going on, and, and ask God to kind of show you what difference this is making, uh, be aware of the warfare going it, it, Man, now life becomes exciting. Uh, it becomes, uh, hmm, oh, whew, good. Okay, Mark chapter 6, verse 5, look at this. Jesus is, is, is uh, preaching in Capernaum, and it says he could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. We're talking the Son of God here, folks. The Son of God's got perfect faith, right? The Son of God's got perfect character. But he couldn't do any miracles there. Why? Because God's got another principle here that says, according to your faith be done to you, these people were resisting the will of God for themselves. Apparently, that's enough to thwart God's plan for that whole town. Everywhere else, Jesus went, he was healing people, delivering people, you know, miracles all over the place. Here, they thwarted God's purpose for themselves. When there are wills that resist God, they resist God. So it wouldn't be about, Jesus, don't you have enough faith? Or, or you know, maybe not praying enough, or whatever. There are variables other than that. Mark chapter 9, verse 29. The disciples pray for uh, the, the, this, this uh, demonized boy. And uh, uh, they couldn't get the demon out of the guy. Jesus comes and, and, and he asks the father, do you have faith? And the guy says, yeah, kind of. And so that's enough. So they cast the demon out of the boy. But the disciples come to them in Mark chapter 9 and they say, Jesus, how come we couldn't do it? It's encouraging to me to know that when they went around trying to cast demons out, they didn't always get it right. That's encouraging to me because that's how it is in my experience. We always want this magical kind of thing. It's work. And Jesus says, well, you know what? You know, this boy was foaming at the mouth, throwing himself into fire, you know, trying to commit suicide. This kind, he says, this kind of demon only comes out through prayer, and some of the manuscripts in the ancient world say add and fasting. This kind, this is a tough one. Now think about this. It's, this isn't magic, folks. This is, we are flexing spiritual muscle against another agent who's got muscle. I don't know how much muscle it's going to take. Some kind take a lot of muscle. You've got to pray a real lot. You need a lot of people praying. You've got to have persistence in the prayer. You even got to fast when you pray, etc., etc. But it wasn't a wave your magic wand and it gets done. All that is to say this. Know that we are at war. There's warfare going on and prayer is an act of war. There's other cases in the ministry of Jesus where he went to heal a person with blindness and it didn't happen instantly. It took several times. One case where he went to cast out a demon in, in, in the book of Mark and it didn't happen instantly. The demons argued with him for a while. The verses don't tell us why because we don't need to know why. We just need to know this, that the world is infinitely complex and we, we don't know. What you do know is this. The Bible promises you that the fervent prayer, the passionate prayer of a righteous person is effective. It's effective. It accomplishes much. We don't know why things happen the way they do. But we do know the character of God, and we do know the, our empowerment. Or at least we should know that. Far more important than explaining it is doing something about it. And saints of God, bride of Christ, army of Jesus Christ, we have been empowered to do something about it. Not, not magic. We're talking real labor of love. I want to encourage you so much to take this seriously, to see it as warfare. 
Know that, you know, when, when things don't go the way you'd want them to go or the way you prayed them to go, that that's not necessarily because you lack faith or because God didn't will it. There's other variables that, that could be involved in this whole thing. One final word, a pastoral word. And I want to invite, after we're, we're, we're dismissed, anyone who needs prayer, if our prayer team, when we're dismissed, the prayer team will come up here and you can come forward for prayer because we believe in that. But, but know this, and I've got to close with this. Some of you might, uh, hearing this, start doing an if-only thing. The devil loves the why, why, why thing, and the devil loves the if only, if only thing. So you're thinking this. Does that mean if only I would have prayed more for my daughter, she wouldn't have got hit by a car? Does that mean if only I'd prayed more, my son wouldn't have died? Does it mean if only I'd prayed more, my marriage wouldn't have fallen apart? Does it mean if only, if only, if only, if only, if only? I want to say this. It is as futile and useless and as unproductive to ask the if only question as it is to ask the why question. Why? Because the world is infinitely complex. You can say, if only a trillion different things were different, maybe this wouldn't have happened. The devil will take that trillion different things and blame it all on you. Maybe you didn't pray enough. And things maybe would have been different had you prayed. But you don't know if that would have changed this thing. You don't know all the things that were going on, all the variables in the invisible realm. Free yourself from the why question. Free yourself from the if only question. The only question that matters now is, are we doing all we can do to spread the kingdom of God on a physical plane, and on a spiritual plane. Father in heaven, uh, Lord, my prayer for us right here is that we will go out of here empowered. Uh, God, uh, the world's an ambiguous place. It's a war zone. It's confusing, so confusing. But God, I pray you give us a peace in the midst of the confusion, as Stephanie's saying, but also empowerment to do something about the chaos. Lord, help us to go out of here as your bride, as your army, empowered to do great exploits. Lord God, people who increasingly are committed to spending time on our knees with our hand raised for the church, for our families, for those all around us. Help us, Lord, to be a people who really believe and say to ourselves that the prayer we pray over our our neighbor's house makes a difference. Makes a difference. Though we may not see why. We may not see how. God, help us to pray with faith believing. Pray with persistence. Pray in numbers. Pray in warfare, Lord God. We want to do your will, spread your kingdom against the kingdom of darkness. And the army of God said, Amen.